Hello and welcome to another episode of St. George's Rod and Stock, the official podcast of the Church of St. George the Martin, Kales River, alongside the chapelries of St. Mark and St. Monica's. I am Lindsay Shooters, your host on this exploration of faith during this time of crisis, and I'm joined as always by the rector of our parish, the Archdeacon Rodney Whiteman. How are you today? And I see you bathed in light. We usually speak <laughs> in the evening. Today we are recording in the morning. Hi, good morning, Lindsay. Yes, I'm sitting here in the, um, what do they call this, the southern, the, the, the eastern, part of the eastern cape, um, uh, part of the land, or the, or the middle. It's, still, it's the, the western cape still. It, it's still western cape. Yes. Well, it's just about five uh, kilometers, sorry, yeah, um, eight kilometers outside of the, um, of Riversdale. I'm here to do a wedding this afternoon in a very um, old chapel on a farm called Kweekral. And um, the couple has generously put Trudy and myself up in a chalet that we have exposure to for at least two days. Um, and it's beautiful, the, the just being up at this time of the morning um, with no... Uh, um, high rises in front of your eyes and you just see the beauty of the horizon mm. um, although 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 uh, um, um, Kales River the house that we live in at the rectory it gives us both the west and the eastern side so so we do have a beautiful view from from that side as well but it's so quiet and um, yeah it was fun just taking a drive down on this busy in two over a long weekend mm. um, you know there was busyness all around at the shopping centers and all of that that we had to pass by or go to. And as I said to you, I had fun driving through Luangle yesterday. Um, that's part of Somerset West, where, where as, as soon as you enter into Luangle, you enter in a whole different world from the, you know, the Somerset West. Uh, people really have not given up on living whatever life they can live. Mm -hmm. To their, to their betterment. So it was quite interesting seeing the road lined with um, places where you could purchase food from. Um, people are very, very creative, you know. Um, I must admire the tenacity of people. Mm. And they and they exposed them, themselves to the local community. Uh, you know, they're drawing their wealth from the local community. They're serving the local community yeah. that are living there. And that's, um, you know, the, the, the local economy, I suppose, is always something that we need to look to, um, hopefully, for improving our economy. We're not there just yet because corporates just tend to swallow people up <laughs> because of the money. But I think there has to be a balance, an acknowledgement of, of what the ordinary person can do uh, in order to create a living um, in a in a in a very greedy world, I would want mm -hmm. to add. But I, I I won't be at church tomorrow morning, so I hope that um, the congregation will always be blessed, both online and also um, in person. Um, Reverend Derek Abrams, a retired priest who's part of our congregation, is doing the service, and Reverend. Uh, Lindela Petra, um, who's coming over to us from the Roman Catholic Church, will be reading the gospel together with our faithful lay ministers, um, wardens, and the staff that do the compliancy and the 
wonderful workers of the uh, hospitality group and the organist, of course. Um, I hope that you enjoy your service as well. Um, yeah, I, I've been told that I deserve this time out. <laughs> I'm not so sure I'm going to take so much credit, but thank you very much, congregation, for allowing me to to do this ministry here in That's this part of the world. Lindsay, That's I trust amazing. you and your family are doing well as, as well? Uh, yes, we are. Um, not in, in any exotic locations, because this is obviously not a a normal kind of long weekend because there is an election that's happening. Oh, People yes. are going to the polls on Monday. I hope you will be back in your district so that you can add your voice to the ballot box, add your mark to the ballot box. Um, and it's interesting that you spoke about the, your little jaunt through Luandle, where a lot of people in, in Cape Town don't realize that this is really a, a city with two faces um, mm. where the ruling government um, in the province and in the city will have you believe that they are acting in the best interest of everybody. But if you just take a little turn off of your main routes and really go into the townships, into the less fortunate areas or the poorer areas um, economically, in the city, you will find that it maybe doesn't work as good there as it does for you in your suburbs. So please be mindful of that. Be have a little bit of cultural empathy. Have a little bit of empathy for people who really aren't reached by the same level of service that you are um, when you take to the polls. Uh, that's enough politics. Uh, when we get into some <laughs> extra politics, there's been a lot happening this week. I mean, we had a national cricket player who didn't partake in an international World Cup game because he didn't have enough empathy for the plight of people of color. Um, and regardless of what you think about his, his very eloquent and heartfelt uh, apology, the media statement, um, his actions revealed a lot more about his character in my mind. Um, and these people who are not willing to give up a little bit of their agency to empathize with the plight of somebody else are not allies. Um, yeah. I don't know if you have anything to, to add on that situation. Well, I, I'm sure that the Ruth passage will have much to say about that because <laughs> of the uh, thing that, that there was a ethnic difference in, in, in terms of people there and, um, and people were quite, I'm not saying there's a call for racism, um, but just the way of how ethnicity is dealt with and <clears throat> race is dealt with. Um, it is sad when you have to choose between the fact that somebody's politics clashes with their um, excitement as talented uh, sports persons. Um, you're so much grateful to have a person like Mr. Decock in our team because of the way that he plays. But then also when you think of how um, inclusive people are in terms of their worldview, mm -hmm. and that is lacking 
um, uh, if he had taken if he had taken the knee in 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 support of people who are being who are still in this modern age being being um, put down and oppressed um, simply because of the color of their skin. Um, I, mean, I watch a lot of YouTube stuff relating mm -hmm. to the day American life and racism is alive and well. And I just wonder um, if that still exists in our parts of the of the world. I came into a place where we have um, a white family uh, celebrating four generations of being on the same um, farm. Mm. Um, but I engaged a, a white woman who is whom, whom I greeted as if she was just a sister like me with a white skin. Yeah, I hope she appreciated the the inclusive nature of my of my person, and very respectful. Were not was not close to telling me the story. Um, welcomed me and my wife to enjoy ourselves here in this space, told me a bit about the history. Um, uh, I don't, do I have to look at that with scorn or should that have been part of our history in this country, celebration of people? But I, I realize my own family doesn't have that history because we are part of an oppressed person. So yes, the fact that he didn't take the vow, angers me hmm. because of the lack of sensitivity and i would say the fact that he didn't take it is his first response is his ground level response his yeah. foundational response so his apology is a journey that he must now start looking at inwardly why did I have this initial response? So the racism is still deeply embedded in me and I've got to deal with that. As every one of us have got to deal with it when we realize we are called out and have to make a confession. Well, and to be I'll, fair, um, the, this media statement did, I mean, that was a media statement. I know there's been a lot made of um, some of the more like grammatical errors that was in it that uh, kind of indicated that he had drafted it himself, but I promise you he's a professional sports player. He is, that was a statement that was released with official team markings on it um, as a statement from him that was drafted by a team of people um, who are trained to respond to these sorts of situations. Um, there were some revelations in there, as, as I was saying, um, to be fair to him, I did not know his family background. I did not know the mixed nature of his um, of his uh, in-law, or not his in-law, his stepsisters and his stepmother. Um, that is a knock for me on the media and how they have actually covered him. It did, it did change my perspective a little bit and my opinion on his initial actions, but the fact remains that he chose to not do something that made him feel uncomfortable mm. when being forced to do it. Mm. And that, for me, defeats his sentiment, or at least it undermines his sentiment of 
I, I'm not calling him a racist. I believe that he is not. It's just not. He's not. He doesn't understand his privilege. He's not conscious of his privilege that the the act that he was partaking in was a show or sign of empathy for a cause where people have been stripped of their agency, of their choices. So if you being forced to do it cheapened it for you, and therefore you didn't want to lower your model standards, is a choice that not many people are privileged enough to make, especially people who don't share the same color skin. Yeah. And on that, um, we have now purified our conscience. <laughs> I see that you have extracted for the 23rd Sunday after Pentecost um, is purified conscience worshipping the living God. A clear conscience is a good pillow, is the African proverb that you have pulled out. But please, can you call us together with the collective prayer and then we can unpack the roots of the theme and the themes in the liturgy. My sisters and brothers, the Lord be with you. I trust that as we offer you this podcast as a form of worship and reflection in a time of crisis, um, that the preempting or the pretext that Lindsay and I give week by week is 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 focused on what is happening in the world, and we bring that conversation into this gathering space of worship, uh, knowing that even in the darkest moments, God is with us, and we share God's presence. Uh, even when, uh, like he said, um, it's difficult when we have such uh, differing views and um, our views can often pain one another. Um, so the conversation when Lindsay and I just had now, it's 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 being drawn into this act of worship, this reflection, and this time of prayer. So let us pray the collect for this week. God of love, you've taught us that without love, whatever we do is worth nothing. Pour into our hearts your most excellent gift of love. And by it, impel us to care for our sisters and brothers. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, in glory everlasting. Amen. Uh, collect and prayers and choice verses from the readings are in the podcast description. So if you want to follow along and read for yourself and find your own kind of meaning in the references, it is there for you. And on that, we are going into the first reading, which is Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. So long ago in the days before Israel had a king, there was a famine in the land. So a man named Elimelech, who belonged to the clan of Ephrath. I practiced these before I started. <laughs> now my tongue is not working with me. And who lived in Bethlehem in Judah, went with his wife Naomi and their two sons, Mahlon and Shilion, oh, I butchered those, to live for a while in the country of Moab. Um, then the two sons get married to Orpah and Ruth, and then all three of them die, 
um, Naomi was left all alone. Sometime later, Naomi had heard that the Lord had blessed his people by giving them good crops. So she got ready to leave with to leave Moab with her daughters-in-law. They started out together to go back to Jewel, but on the way, she said to them, "Go back home and stay with your mothers. May the Lord be as good to you as they as you have been to me, and to those who have died." So, yeah, I. I, I feel a lot of empathy for Naomi. A personal anecdote. This week, um, I experienced a Burger King's plant-based Whopper and in biting into it and tasting that familiar cardboard taste, I was transported <laughs> back to my childhood where um, we didn't have a lot to go around and my mother still did her absolute best to try and give us a full childhood and not have us excluded from any of like the cultural practices. So we had burgers um, that we used to fry at home and they were, I think maybe the delivery truck drove past the cow once, uh, but they tasted exactly like this plant-based Whopper. And then it got me thinking about how something that was once a single mother of three trying to provide the best that she could, what that she could afford at the time, has now been turned into like this whole leaning into the vegan trend and like a 43 Rand burger. <laughs> it's, it's just a little bit outside. So like here, Naomi is, she's, her husband moved her away um, much like my mother moved up to Pretoria with my dad. The husband moved her away from like a homeland and like things were not going so good. Then he died and the sons died. So she has no connection to this surrogate land that she's living in. And she's like, yo, the famine's done. Everything's going cool that side. Maybe I can start afresh, live out the rest of my life in comfort with like my support system and my family. So I feel that. I feel that on a cellular level. Um, what do you read into this decision for her to like move back home? Yeah, it's not only that migration happens these days for improvement of lifestyle, um, job situations and all of that. Uh, it's very interesting also that we have a story so similar to the beginning of the book of Job, which we just completed last mm. week. Yeah. A woman loses her family and are left with two daughters-in-law. Um, Job lost his family right at the beginning. Nothing is projected about Naomi's faithfulness as it was about Job's faith. And she wasn't under any, um, as it were, pretext of punishment or challenge to mm -hmm. her life. But um, the move to a foreign land to improve their the economic lifestyle. Um, now we're entering into a, a situation where um, sons marry foreign women. Hmm. What does this mean to Israel and the foreign nations around them? And we're going to get to the issues of um, the intermarriage story. Uh, we're also getting to the issues of what does it mean to be a widowed person? In fact, all three of those women were widowed. 
Um, and widow, wid widows in those days because of women being secondary citizens, according to the patriarchic society, um, cannot survive on their own. Um, and uh, you basically at the mercy of society, uh, which is not unrealistic to today's world where women are in those positions as well. Um, unless they come from wealthy families. So, so, you know, now the challenge of the purity of the nation comes in. We spoke mm -hmm. about the whole thing of ethnicity, you know, um, uh, intermarriages, um, and the challenge of women uh, who, who have lost their support base. Um, it's huge. How do women survive in this world when they don't have their support bases? Um, mm -hmm. Women are very, very challenged. Um, and I think in this regard, it's not unlike our conversation about Mr. De Kock and taking the knee. Um, we're living in a world of total diversity um, and the fear of inclusion. The conversation will now go on to where Naomi says to these two girls, go back to your own people. There's no kind of connection anymore, mm -hmm. simply because you married my, my sons. And I can't produce any more sons. So, and it wasn't, I mean, I, I like the fact that there wasn't tension between daughters-in-law and mothers-in-law, which is sort of a kind of an international phenomenon, a human phenomenon, <laughs> where people have to live in those circumstances. But um, uh, so, so that there's, there's, there's Naomi, I mean, you just get that sense. She is a respected matriarch. Um, mm. somebody that people would, you know, just have a sense of looking up to. Um, the exemplary nature of a life. Um, I just get that sense, even in this initial passage of Ruth, uh, where the focus is not on Ruth at the beginning, but on Naomi yeah. and her plight. Um, and uh, and even even though she's moved into this country where she's been for a number of years, at at least to the level of where her sons were able to marry, so they were uh, well adults considered adults in that culture. Um, she had no base future base there, so now the only way to survive was to go back to her people. Um, which, which she, which is here understood as the Lord's people. The Lord has blessed these people by giving them some crops. So it's, mm. it sounds a very nationalistic statement, an exclusive statement. Um, where the Moabites, they're not God's people, would be the question. The same God has allowed you to go there. <laughs> uh, now is flourishing his own people. Um, I, I just read some of the history of this book, um, and it says that it's a story of ordinary life. Mm. But I think there's so much nuances here that we can draw up from, which I've already mentioned, yeah. that we need to consider. 
um, how does the church treat the, the widowed people? Mm. Is there support base for them? Here is not just an elderly woman who's lost her husband, but there was a, two young ladies who mm. became widowed. Um, is there space for them? Is the acknowledgement of the plight that they go through? I mean, how many of our congregants are, are in that situation right now? Where And also because they've lost their spouses, um, are we are they economically okay? Are they able to to cope with their lives? Does a woman need a man to survive? Is another um, mm. challenge I think. And then of course we have out in our country, uh, which is as it were seen as the hope of Africa. Uh, many people coming from other parts of Africa and even from Asia f- to find the space here to find a living, leaving their ethnic homes, having to integrate, uh, being rejected. Um, uh, you know, there is, is that of people migrating. Then if you happen to be of, of a little bit of a lighter skin, you tend to be a little bit better off because our, the, the nature of our country is that uh, white folk are better off from European and North American countries uh, mm-hmm. than, 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 than people coming from other parts of, the, of, our, of our continent and, 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 and the world. If you are of a person of color, you don't necessarily survive. Mm-hmm. And there was discrimination against the Moabite people. Yeah. So I think this story draws in all of this and I like the job story where we had to struggle through the theology of the mystery of suffering and who is God really, um, you know, when, when it seems as if the story is written that poor Moab, poor Job had no chance against him. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we have this, a, a, a story here where um, a God, the Lord is blessing his people. Yeah, not, yeah. A, not a state of punishment, but a blessing that is becoming that's coming to the fore. And this draws Naomi uh, to to long back for her homeland. Yeah, yeah. I, I I like the 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 kind of modern current state of going here, where it's like I it's unfortunate that there are so many inspirational stories of women and I, I say unfortunate for a very specific reason um of women who have to rebuild their lives and it's interesting that in this chapter it opens with like this story which then becomes a traditional love story later on <laughs> Uh, but yes. we can't make any narrative assumptions because we need to <laughs> examine examine the text that is here. Um, so I say unfortunate because why are women burdened till today? And women in all walks of life, like you look at Tina Turner, you look at, we watched the Aretha Franklin um, biopic, Respect. Uh, we finished it last night. Um, uh, there were a lot of things about her background that I, I also wasn't aware of. Why? Why is the burden on the women 
to be moved away from their comfort zones or have their comfort zones actively demolished by the acts of selfish, stupid men. <laughs> and then they have to rebuild afterwards. Like, it's indicative, like, this happened multitudes of years ago. This is like BCE times. But we still have the same stories today where a woman will, like, divorce her abuser and then be saddled with the kids and have to, like, go back to her family and be like, yeah, you guys did tell me it was a stupid mistake to do that. You told me not to leave. Now the burden is on them to first, like, I, I can feel Naomi here is walking and she now has these two foreign women with her who were brought into her life by <laughs> her son's philandering. And, like, it's not her choice. And now she's like, how is this going to be perceived when I get back there? Like, first, I have to make up for all the time that I've been away from my family, from my homeland. I have to kind of... She has that, that weight of, of guilt of, like, not being there with her family through the struggle, through the famine. And now she's pitching up almost like a beggar down on her luck. So she has to like work through all of that stuff. And then she's like, I can't also bring these two foreigners there. Because like, what are the think? You know? Like, like you can feel this here. And then, then there's that beautiful moment where Ruth is like, no, you know, I am tied to you. Uh, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And that is where I will be buried. May the Lord's worst punishment come upon me if I let anything but death separate me from you. So that is like, I. there's no grounding, there's no context to that relationship um, that gets given. But it's enough, it's strong enough, it's a strong enough message or sentiment that Naomi is like, okay, cool, I don't need to worry about you because you are worried about me. I think that um, it, I, the word that popped up as you were saying that was how integrated Ruth became with this new family and the example of her mother-in-law was of such a nature that Ruth then um, found new roots uh, mm. uh, in her uh, in her person for her person, other than that of the 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 people that she that she was part of ethnically and racially. Um, I, I just want to just highlight something that just dawned on me, which which is important here. I wonder whether when Ruth says the Lord is blessing his people and she determined not to go back. Whether that tells me a bit about Naomi's spirituality, her sense of God, her sense of what God was doing uh, for her people. And Ruth seems to emulate this. Your God will be my God. It's the last statement she makes before she says, whenever I die, I will die. Wherever you die, I will die. This total commitment of integration into this new life 
Um, and and one of the, the commentators was saying, unlike Israel's unfaithfulness, here is uh, a woman showing faithfulness to this newfound life mm. uh, that is emulated by her mother-in-law. So, in other words, is it true, therefore, that women are stronger than men? Definitely. <laughs> who have to survive. Um, my wife is a, is, a, is a trained teacher who, when she married me, had to give up her post because the church sent me to another part of the of the of the of the diocese. Mm -hmm. And when they sent me back, she had to give up that post. And and eventually, yeah. uh, it was it was a time in the country when the teachers were redeployed, so it was difficult to even find a post uh, for the subjects that she was qualified to teach. Um, so she gave up her career after ten years, uh, being a qualified high school teacher. Um, and modeled her life on the call and my vocation as the church centers around from pillar to place and have to find new forms of employment that um, thankfully came her way, um, but it never gave her the opportunity to further develop herself as an educator mm -hmm. uh, in, in a school because there just was no posts for, for available for her. So um, I, I do have a sense of what that may mean uh, to, to her to have given up on her life because that's what women do when they get married. Yeah, but yeah. why must they still be burdened with, with that? I, I ask myself the question, oh, the church has changed in that when we understood that God had, was not really keeping women out of ministry, we were keeping women yeah. out of um, it was in, it's interesting now that I have colleagues whose husbands have to take with them where, wherever they go. But the church has changed. Remember, I was in the Diocese of Cape Town, which was larger, in the Diocese of False Bay, which is now just a portion of what the Diocese of Cape Town used to be. Um, uh, movement is more restricted from parish to parish. So uh, the, the whole question now, now is, do I move my spouse away from where the, the bread and butter lays for them? Mm -hmm. uh, does a man give up his post because his wife is being sent to the Platteland as my wife had to give up her post without argument? And reinvent herself every move we made um, into to finding a thing. You besides looking after the family, finding that her giftedness and talent could be still used um, to 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 earn earn money for herself. So yeah, why why does women have to do that? <laughs> I I don't know. Is, is it because they are stronger than men? that men have got a different perspective. Um, Elimelech saw the famine, decided he was going to move his family. Did he discuss this with Naomi? 
or was it just about you know ensuring that as the breadwinner he needed to find a a, a play a, what's his name uh, to survive? I don't know. It's this is a very unique story because it gives us that question you are asking: Why do women have to reinvent themselves all the time, even in a modern world? And they do so with much more pressure from society than males uh, yeah. would. And so maybe this is the book we should be reading in the Women's Month, uh, which is in August. Um, Ruth should be a focus text for, for that because it brings out strongly the challenge around, around what women have to go through in a very patriarchal. And I think part of the problem is that we have a patriarchal society and a yeah. patriarchal mindset in the home in the workplace, in society. Um, that is what seems to happen. But there's an interesting other little thread here where it's like, uh, and I, I touched on it briefly in my previous comment, where Naomi, you can, there's a palatable, there's a tangible sense here where she's like, how are these foreigners going to live in my land? So she's experienced the reverse. Yeah. And it, it speaks to that, that, that idea that we, we introduced right on top before we got into the liturgy, where it's like, how much cultural empathy can we really develop if we're not living in an integrated society? Like I had a, a discussion, there's, there's, there's a new apprentice um, for, for my father-in-law, and he's... Uh, he has one of the, as as people would say, one of the funny names. Um, uh, like, like I, I used to play football with with a guy named, um, like uh, it was corporate league football with a guy named Promiscuity, and then you know you get the love mores and that. So that's usually like Zimbabwean mm. influence. But I was having the discussion with my mother-in-law where she she was asking me how I knew that. And I was like, no, like, haven't you ever conversed with like Africans from other countries? Mm. Um, haven't you had a relationship? Have you ever lived next to a black person? And she was like, no. And I was like, how in 2021, in a country that is overwhelmingly majority black with a smorgasbord of cultures with refugees who have come through, um, migrants seeking better work opportunities. With all of these people among our 58 million number, how can you go, how can you live nearly 70 years and have never lived next to someone who is culturally, racially, different from you mm. how is that not a problem that should be solved very interesting um even though migration has happened the acceptance of people coming in has not been readily i think there's a fear that the little we have will now have to be divide, divided even further so there's a great fear that people have to deal with um, I, you know, I wonder, Naomi's uh, uh, 
premise of spirituality says the Lord is blessing. If we, if we move from that premise that the Lord is blessing, shouldn't we also then add, if the Lord blesses, then we, and we believe that, then our sharing should be without the sense of exclusion. Now, I'm not so sure about this exactly, but if I just read this text, I didn't find any apprehension among the Moabites to receive this family. Mm. But you made the point, did Naomi have it in her own mind that should she take these children back with her, that the same level of acceptability would not be there? Mm. That they would be discriminated against based on the fact that they come from another ethnic group. Even though we argue and argue and argue that we all belong to the same human race. And um, I know working in Fishik, for example, um, there was a lady that I think she was racist and was fascinated that I was now a person of color, her rector. Hmm. And she asked me the question publicly, would I have any hesitation if uh, her children, if my children as daughters got involved with, um, you know, white guys? Hmm. I, I said, well, no, if that's whom they fall in love with and that's whom they end up marrying, who am I to say that that shouldn't happen? Mm -hmm. And her words to me, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> You know, because she would have difficulty yeah. of that kind of integration. So now, where is this? Are we part of the same human family? And and if if that is, because I mean, I had a secretary there who would say to me afterwards in the village, Rodney, you know, there is no real difference between us. And I can tell you from an ethnic point of view, I have so much more to learn about life from you, then you have to teach me. And this is a woman way older than I was, who has been raised as, as in the ethnic group yeah. of whiteness. But she embraced me and was open to uh, accepting that there is, we are human together. And of course, our spirituality has even ma made that more uh, what's them. But you are right. We, we argue that we are the same human family, but our ethnicity, in some cases, for some people, becomes far more important than our sharing our a common humanity. Yeah. Um, but Ruth was determined. I mean, her statement is just so profound. Yeah. You know, uh, she goes over all the boundary lines that you could possibly try and argue against. Um, let me go with you. This is my commitment. From wherever you go, I will go. So that's from a personal point. Wherever you live, I will live. So now, I don't care what space we move into ethnically. I'm going to live there because I'm committed to you. Mm -hmm. I will share that space with you. My life is integrated with you. Your people will become my people. I have no hang-ups in recognizing the benefit of being a Moabite, but also the benefit of sharing in the Israelite culture because I can, we, can, we can empower that experience. Yeah. Look for the good in both. Um, the spirituality, your God will be my God. You know, um, how is that possible that that can happen? You know, you have, you have couples where 
the 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 uh, oh no father um he belong are you christian no he belongs to this church yeah <laughs> so there's this de denominational thing as yeah. if things were so different and i often have to say to people you know the anglican church the benefit we have is the best of all hmm. and we can hold that in even in our conservative uh, anglicanism we can hold together charismatic evangelism um and you know we can we can be responsible in our prayers because we're not we're not uh, uh, fans on a stadium we participate this is ruth's commitment yeah i'm going to participate in every part of of who you are i've totally commitment committed to that it it does register in a, in a spiritual way the leaving of the old life this is not to say moab is wrong it's just about mm -hmm. in my mind the leaving of the old life of sin um into in, 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 uh, integrating into a new life and i just wonder like with ruth moving with emlemelech into the moabite whether she also integrated herself while she was living there that that was an example of saying she didn't come here to judge people mm. she embraced the new way of life but at some point it, it, it there had to be another way another choice that she had to make and naomi is saying i'm going to embrace this new way of life mm. there may not be any promises of betterness yeah but i'm committed to it so i put it to you <laughs> is this not a more accurate reflection of a spousal commitment ruth's commitment to naomi which mirrors naomi's commitment to um, her husband when he moved uh, to a different country or at least to a different region um so like by definition what is that that thing about the man will leave his family and cling to his wife and the two shall become one flesh so it's it's not it shouldn't be interpreted as literally as like the man must leave and then become part of that family it's more you must leave behind all that cultural baggage that entitlement that and commit yourself to somebody else as a fully formed person to their culture to open yourself up to experience and join your life with that person's life we like i i don't wear a wedding ring for multitude of reasons um and it comes up regularly but i think even beyond the symbol i think beyond the ceremony of marriage um i think i am more committed to my wife as a person first and not just because god sealed our union you know <laughs> yeah look i i i think there 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 is a way in which this is a call to maturity mm. um whilst we need to know the foundational things of our life we can't stay foundational because that means we're not we limiting ourselves to growing 
yeah. uh, and developing, and that there's a bigger there's a bigger uh, hole out there that we have to explore and become part of, like speaking to your mother-in-law and saying, did you never encounter uh, other people? Hmm. With the, like yesterday at the filling station when we filled up as we, getting ready to drive here, there was a guy there who. Um, I mean, I, I take interest in people generally. Hmm. Asked him how he was, how his family was, and you know, he's black. I'm a person of color, and he says, um, he so I said to him, so he says at home, so said, and 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 they're getting fat. There's nothing strange to what he said to what I experienced in my family. Um, then another guy turned up there, um, and his name is Professor. <laughs> <laughs> and I made I made a reference to so what was your PhD in? Oh wow! You wow. know that's not, that's but so it, bad. It, it, it it bonded us because now we looked. I looked at this and I said, you know, he says, but but you know, I'm just a Almost coming down to I'm just a petrology. I said, no, do you know the thesis you can write out just mm -hmm. by reflecting on what you're doing here? That could develop. So I looked at his name, not in terms of the, the cultural issue, but also the fact raise the level of your of of your of your of the expectation of your growth mm -hmm. rather than just, you know, so it started with a name, but I said, let me give you the idea. Write a thesis. You can write a thesis in in simple words, yeah, what it means to be a petrol jockey uh, for a day. There's so much material here you can use. So I was looking at reference to his name that made me think of education. Mm. So, so of course, I didn't go and explore. So why would you have called your child professor? Because I was thinking. Man, was there a purpose because a name has meaning? Yes. Parents give names. Were they intending this child to think about that name, even though his circumstances may not have allowed him to go further? That somehow there was a connection that he could have thought of. I mean, I look at my name and I keep finding what my name means road servant in English. Okay. okay. You know? I took that meaning and I embraced it because it was part of my vocation to serve. But a road means I'm laying the path for people. Okay. So my, my parents may not have known that Rodney meant that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And what's even more dynamic, my surname. So, so a person that has Whiteman as a surname can transform the nature of what it means to be white hmm. and say your whiteness is not about entitlement. And so I could bring that into, and there I could write a whole story about just my name and the meaning I'm given to and how, when I looked at it, it um, gives a whole meaning. The, 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 the Hebrew understanding of my name is read. Okay. And in Hebrews, in 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 is in in Isaiah, there's a passage that said that this reed, which is in a symbolism of the people of God, not even the wind will sway because God had made it so steadfast. 
So, so how much more my life was enriched by that encounter at the petrol station yesterday, where I could speak about a family and how they were doing and so on, where I could meet somebody whose name was totally unique. Mm. I was fascinated. Somebody walk around with a total with a name professor yeah. without you know, and not as a title, but as a name. And I was looking for meaning in the conversation. At, and we laughed about, you know, what yeah. this means. But how much poorer we are. Like, how much poorer would Orpha be now that she would go back to her people? Mm-hmm. Although the experience itself could that she has had could enrich uh, if she follows it up. But how much more enriched is Ruth? Yeah. Because the interesting thing about the Ruth passage is that she became an ancestor of our Lord. Mm. Indeed. Um, but yeah, you and me, we we share a lot of traits. I also like to make um, thingies of, like I would have had maybe a little bit more savvy with that and maybe asked the person what the original untranslated version of the name is. Um, because a lot of that gets lost in translation. And then, like, I don't want to go on a tangent here, <laughs> but you know what? Um, the, the other thing, like, about sur- surnames is especially people of color, where it was people just made up surnames for our ancestors, um, sometimes as a joke, um, sometimes as the month that they arrived in the country as slaves, like the Februarys and the Januarys and the, you know, um, and it was things that were marks that were placed on our lives that we should investigate and we should reconcile our own relationship to it. Um, it's, it's fascinating for me if you change to Islam and that whole process of doing a name change where you are then kind of in control of your own identity. And that identity is who you aspire to become within the faith. And I, I like that as a sentiment. Um, <coughs> it's like my name is literally <laughs> half of a, a Dolly Parton song, uh, where it's an island in the stream. <laughs> But it's fascinating because in baptism, I found this fascinating as I began to understand a little baptism. Baptism joins the name your parents give you to that of the of God, the the community of God. Mm. And we will get into the community of God when we get to the the the, the, the gospels. <laughs> but just the fact that. I baptize you in the name of the Father. Rodney, I baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Has got such a wonderful way of now, of my, a challenge to my being and my becoming in this life. Mm. I'm, I'm drawn into, by name, the community of who God is. And we know that the name of God was an issue in the, the, the Exodus. Uh, it's, it's always an issue right through the scriptures. Um, people were challenging Jesus about who he who he was. Yeah. In terms of of name. Yeah. So 
like as, as you alluded to uh, in the gospel, like uh, uh, the the Hebrews reading kind of echoes uh, what what Jesus says in the gospel, where um, the author is like, for um, he entered once and for all into the holy place, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works? To worship the living God. And then in Mark chapter 12, verses 28 to 34, so the scribes come up to Jesus and they're like, yo, dude, um, what is the first commandment? Which commandment is the first of all? And then Jesus like goes on just flexing academically, like, I'm not just gonna say the first commandment, I'm going to start the commandments in the way that it was probably started on the on the tablet. Where it's like, yeah, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord with your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And then the scribe gets it. And he's like, you're right. You have truly said that he is one and besides him there is no other. And to love him with all your heart and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself. This is much more important than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And then Jesus is like, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any questions. So there, we have a tale, Jesus just flexing on everybody, just demonstrating superior understanding, knowledge of all the religious texts, and the scribe actually responds positively, doesn't try to trap him with a different argument or anything. But the issue that I have here, like I have no issues with love your neighbor as yourself. I believe that is the foundational philosophy of Christianity, and I fully subscribe to that idea. That's why I'm happy to have my children raised as Christians so that they can be part of a global community that believes in this level of empathy. But that's it. There is a place, I believe, for burnt offerings and sacrifices if it reflects. We, we shouldn't expect everybody to subscribe to a monoculture. We should celebrate the different traditions and rites um, that exist around the world um, as people have discovered new things about themselves, about their relationship to the environment. And we should seek to explore and not just use texts like this and completely ignore or disregard a central component of somebody else's culture. Wow. <laughs> I, I just wondered whether coming out of the Hebrews passage, the, the whole idea of of God's revelation of himself to us and how he draws us back to himself through the, the act of redemption now takes on a more personal um, revelation of, of God's self so that we didn't need the secondary aspect of trying to reach him via burnt offerings and sacrifice where you use an animal to appease um, God for mercy, 
um, and the symbolism of the blood is now and the sacrifice is now interpreted in God's self in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. So is this a way in which the text is telling us, which Jesus is telling us that to embrace God on a per, on, in, 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 in the way God would like us to is through personal relationship. And because the, the act of salvation comes to us through the personal sacrifice of God, uh, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So um, God's act of love inspires an act of love from us, a response of love. God's love um, calls us to reciprocate. Um, is Naomi um, a, 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 a kind of a way in which love was shown and Ruth is reciprocating the love through her commitment um, to continue with Naomi. Uh, in a, uh, as the text says, she, Naomi could see she was very determined. There was a determination there to, to, to go with her. So, but does that mean we criticize and judge what others believe, how others <clears throat> believe? No, we don't. We, we have to live what we believe, what we've come to believe. Okay. Um, and, and we're not saying, I can't say that one is better than the other because how often have I fallen short of, of even loving my neighbor because the whole thing that will come out of this uh, down the line is who is my neighbor? Now we're getting back into the whole ethnic thing. We are world full of human beings with different ethnicities, different beliefs. Now, am I to disregard my neighbor simply because their beliefs are different? I have to live what I found in Jesus. Um, and so I can't, um, because I found this in Jesus, I can't disregard where my neighbor is. I have to be living testimony of what I believe, not as a judgment to the other, um, but as a, as a faithfulness to God um, in, in my commitment. So, because, because if love is what it's all about, then what, why would I want to point out um, judgment on another? But here's another issue. When our diocese became the diocese and Bishop Mervyn became our first bishop, amongst the, um, the Khoza-speaking people of our, of our diocese, mm -hmm. some were asking that we use traditional means to celebrate the establishment of this diocese now. And that meant slaughtering a cow. So mm -hmm. when this was mooted at the leadership level of the diocese, um, those that come from the European part of the world, uh, part of our diocese was in opposition to this because now it's the killing of an animal. Yeah. And then they had to look into the whole thing because they were saying, if we slaughtered the bull and you celebrated with the meat 
and you've given the meat to the people to eat, and then you take the the skin of the of the bull uh, or the cow, and that becomes a symbolism of the diocese, symbolism of the new of the celebration of this new diocese. Mm-hmm. So here in a Christian context, love God, love your neighbor. Yeah. <laughs> The slaughtering of an animal came in and became contentious because the those that were were the European minded ones thought, you know, that they, they knew exactly how traditional causas would slaughter with a knife and keeping the cow would have to suffer. Yeah. Do it the way that the slaughtering of the meat happens, where they shoot you with a gun inside the um, slaughterhouses. Well, that would be very fascinating. Sorry? They stunned him. Yeah. So they there was a, there was that which was going to be more painless hmm. for this part. Well, one of the things that I think we missed out an opportunity, actually, was to have this as a conversation across the diocese. And then really learning from it. We we have is it we have closer speaking people in our co- congregation. We have other ethnic um, background beliefs and stuff, are we still going to do what the missionaries did when they came and just destroyed every culture they could Uh as being nonsense over against what they understood? Now, let's be careful. They understood it to be Christian, but it was a mixture of what they thought was Christian and their own culture. Yes. So there's still a debate in our church, which nobody wants to speak about. The other night on um, Cape Talk, there was a conversation by one of the presenters about um, ethnicity. Coming back to the Quentin scenario and also the integration of people, um, ethnic um, integration. Uh, particularly through marriage, because that's how the integration happens in, 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 in uh, yeah. you know, ethnically. That um, out of that relationship, children are born with both and the many others that's attached to it. Mm-hmm. Oh, who are they? Who are these children? This next generation of children born from interracial marriages, interethnic marriages, and how are we going to treat them? So I think we missed out an opportunity to discuss these matters. Yeah. Because this would have said, then in a church with this kind of diversity, what does it then mean to love your neighbor as yourself? Because now your mm-hmm. neighbor is in the same church you have, holds the same traditions, uh, it was trained the same theological understanding of God, practicing the same worship structure, um, how will you be going to embrace the fact that that person may still have drawn into their faith their ethnic um, value systems that cannot be judged as being unchristian? Um, so there's the whole thing of inculturization in the life of the church. In this debate that was happening on radio the other day, this person said, nobody can say the colored people have no culture. Yeah. We also have subcultures, like around the around the, the, the whole thing about um, elections. 
Mm-hmm. There's not a practice of love your neighbor as yourself. We become enemies at the booth polls. Even mm-hmm. before the booth polls, there are people dying because they belong to a different political party. And that is even in 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 in, in locales where people have the same ethnic um, considerations. Mm. Somehow, because of your politics, now I can I kill you because you're an enemy. So how dare we say we love God when even even in ethnic groups we hate our neighbor because they hold a different political persuasion to ours. Mm-hmm. So this so this was an opportunity for our diocese to talk and to really go into this. What did Jesus mean when he said this? And do we respond as the scribe? And does that mean there's a dismissal of everything uh, else as as incorporation into the, the Jesus way of thinking? Mm. Uh, we missed an opportunity to discuss. Jesus gave a very important statement here. He says, though you have said that, doesn't mean you found the kingdom yet. You haven't arrived yet. You may be on your way there, but you haven't arrived yet. There's so many things you've got to deal with mm. as you go. And I just wonder, as I said, did our diocese miss an opportunity to think about all of this instead of just dismissing this? Um, yeah. And I think we did. I think we did. You also uh, didn't have me there to point out the nuance. <laughs> yeah, that, but you see, it depends on who created the platforms. Yeah. Some of the things that are discussed amongst the top management are often not brought down yeah. into the spaces where people are. And you know why? Because management wants to hold on to power, mm-hmm. even in the church. You know, I don't reveal this to the congregation because. Yeah. I uh, I don't be I reveal it to the congregation and bring them with you, empower them. That's why I'm so I'm so privileged to be part of a congregation like St. George and Mark and St. Monica's. Because I certainly believe I haven't kept things from people. I've made things I re- I've opened up. They are part of the con- the, 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 the conversation on all levels, whether they choose to speak to it, but the support is there. I've seen it. I had difficulty in asking people last week, how many of you are fully vaccinated? Because that's the question I've been asked on the top. Right? I said to them, you should be asking the top how many of them are vaccinated. Yeah. Nobody stood up and said, um, sorry, but I'm not going to participate in this. Mm-hmm. There were even people who were willing to stand up to help count. There were people who, who, who generously told us where they were. So don't, don't hide things from people. Mm-hmm. We are still on the journey together. Yeah. And it's important to to be conscious of of these nuances. And the only way you are could be conscious of it is if you have complete information and 
a knowledge of all the, the quadrants of knowledge. So I, I was saying uh, we were having a discussion last night about raising children in a non-racial way and what that means. And uh, Monique and I have wildly different opinions about um, the culture or the idea of non-racialism. Um, obviously, I'm a bit more militant and a bit more extreme and because of what has happened to me, my personal experience and all of that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, it, it's important to know that the path that you have chosen can change because you cannot know now whether it is the right path tomorrow. Something can happen. A former national captain who is now still part of the team can <laughs> throw a spanner in the works by revealing a part of his character through his actions. Um, but yeah, I, I, I enjoy these kinds of stories uh, because it shows the different sides of of this Christ figure, this Messiah, um, who I on a personal level for my own beliefs and stuff kind of reject the idea of, um, but analyzing him as, as a man through the tellings of these stories allows me to see certain aspects um, that, that I think is important. And I, I enjoy that I have this platform um, among the many digital ministries of St. George's in Kales River, um, St. George and Martin Kales River, uh, to express some of my own insights. And I enjoy that you are willing to engage with me every week. Uh, and I will leave you on that. If you could please extract a few further points of reflection, have some closing comments um, from the prayers of the church, and I will chat with you next week. I think I just want to say that it's important to think about having, a, you know, the worldviews we do have. So we're living in a racially tension, tensioned society. I wonder whether we should be raising our children in how do you love people? Mm. How do you live at peace with each other? And how do you work for justice? I think if we if we if we teach them those things, they'd be able to deal with difference in a respectful and accommodating way. Um, I, I have a book on my shelf which talks about ra raising children with a sense of peace and justice. But I want to add love. Uh, remember Paul's writing in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and the greatest of these is love, faith, hope, and love. We have to raise our children with those values, which are divine values coming from the very heart of God. That is why this statement is so important. Hear, O Israel. And Israel could be replaced with year O world, mm. and with every other nation in there. I think um, the kingdom is what we are, I believe, should be espousing to, because we are either embraced by the embracing the values of the kingdom of God or embracing the values of the kingdom of empire. And we know the kingdom of empire, um, we're going to have the struggles that we do have um, where 
there's no easy solution. So as we pray, remember Naomi and Ruth. We think of families that um, have to migrate because of economic reasons from their, their places of birth. We think also of migration happening because people feel unsafe in their countries of birth. We think in our own country of the migration that has happened to us and from us. We also give thanks to you, Lord, for, for women, for mothers. We think of divorced women. We think of uh, widowed women. We think of the plight, the challenge that women in a patriarchal society, Lord, has to continuously reinvent themselves and reinvent a life for their children. But we also think of men who are divorced, men who are, be, who are, um, who are bereaved. And I know the challenge to reinvent, Lord, is also huge. We thank you for the conversation on the commitment that Ruth had, the integration into the life of her mother-in-law. We pray for strong role models in our society and give you thanks for them, like Naomi was. We also think, Lord, of the diversity amongst the human family, ethnically, in faith and values. Yet, Lord, we are all supposed to be part of the one human family with you as our God. Hence, we thank you that in response to what is the greatest commandment of all? What, what rule of law are we meant to live by to make, Lord, this world a better place? Jesus says to love the Lord our God, all our hearts, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so, Lord, we pray that this would be the energy of our life. This is to what we will work ourselves to. Especially now that we are faced with an election where people have died leading up to it simply because they have different political views. We pray for a peaceful and fair election. We are challenged, Lord, by the COVID pandemic. We are hoping that people would not have to stand in long queues unnecessarily. We think, we think, we pray that people may keep the others safe with good um, protocol. And in this, we pray for our democracy and constitution, Lord. We pray that those that will lead our country, lead our communities, lead our provinces, lead our municipalities, will hold true to the Constitution and our democracy for which many people worked for and died, so that there will be the benefit of unity, equity, justice, and peace for the good of all. As we think of our nation, we think of our matriculants who are writing their final exams. We know that this is an important part of the development of our nation. 
to help our children in this part of their lives to establish themselves through hard work and commitment and success. Lord, as we think of family life and friendships and neighborhoods, reflecting again on the Naomi and Ruth model, we pray for an integrated family life. We think of families who are challenged at the moment, where close links have become loose links, broken links, and where love has been eroded. Pray for healing in that regard. Lord, there are many people troubled in sorrow, need, sickness, or any other adversity, and particularly those who are bullied and tormented by others. We pray for justice to come there and pray that you will comfort and strengthen and renew their sense of dignity. As reported, Lord, we have over 19,000 people that are infected with the COVID virus. We thank you for the many recoveries. We are grateful, Lord, that the, the deaths are reclining. But we pray and mourn for those who died as a result of COVID. We are grateful, Lord, for the vaccines and our, we applaud for the compassion that care. We pray, we know, Lord, that there's only 22 million people in our country that have received the vaccination. Many more have either not received the full one, others none. There are many, Lord, beliefs flowing around that cause confusion. Pray that people may draw from your wisdom for the common good. So we pray for healing and courage and a steadfast love, trust in your love to all who suffer. There are many, Lord, who have died, and so we pray that you will grant them eternal rest and comfort to those who mourn. Bless all continents, Lord, guarding children, guiding leaders, and giving our nations peace. For Jesus' sake, we ask your blessing on all who celebrate their birthdays and winning anniversaries throughout of this week. Pour out your love in their hearts. So, my brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ shed his own blood to win freedom for us. And as I, our high priest has gone into the presence of God and obtained for us eternal redemption purifying us from all guilt and freeing us to worship the living God. Sisters and brothers, your sins are forgiven. Be at peace. So go in peace with courage to love and serve the Lord. In the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you very much for tuning in. May God bless you as we speak to one another again next week.